0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the internet airwaves today Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula.
2: Well, good afternoon, everyone out there. As usual, we have a great guest. And our guest, Dr. Bonnie Greenwell, is back again with us to share her two latest books, The Kundalini Guide and The Awakening Guide. These books are based on 25 years of experience doing assessments for over 2,000 people who have awakened their kundalini energy. These books were created to support the awakening process as there are many issues that arise and are usually a surprise to those who pursue the self-realization. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Bonnie
3: presently moves as a Zen-oriented Dharma teacher in the progressive style of Shanti, who gave her Dharma transmission in uh, 2004. And after several years as his student, Bonnie did come to Zen with a rich background in the yoga tradition and more than 25 years of experience as a transpersonal psycho- psychotherapist known internationally for her work with kundalini she holds a phd from the institute of transpersonal psychology and is currently on the adjunct faculty there she is licensed as a counselor in california and oregon and has specialized in working with spiritual emergency uh, emergence i'm sorry emergence and training others to recognize and support spiritual awakening. She was a founding member and director of the Kundalini Research Network. Paula Bonney certainly has brought even a greater gift to those who study with her.
2: Uh, She sure has, and uh, since Bonnie has not only studied and integrated in great depth the Kundalini process along with the direct Zen teaching, but she has supported thousands of others going through it as well, making their awakening and that uh, much easier and aware and aware of the process. So uh, her teacher said that she should teach, and this is when she started. But thank goodness for Bonnie because there's so many people going through um, this process and have nobody to talk to or guide them. So Bonnie, we are honored to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you very much. Now, um, uh, I I read that your first kundalini experience was actually uh, when you were uh, at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology where you were studying. Uh, Did this kundalini experience shift your whole life?
0: Yes, I would say that it did. It, It happened, though, after quite a few years of meditation. And uh, so I was already pretty spiritually oriented. But um, I discovered in uh, not directly at the school, but in doing some side work with uh, Gay Hendricks, who had developed something he called Radiance Breathwork. And uh, in watching him work, I, I realized suddenly the connection between energy and the body and spirituality. And I hadn't really seen that before. So I went to him and, and did some energy work, and that's what activated the kundalini energy in me at that time. And it stays active. It's um, Once this really opens up for somebody, um, it changes a lot over the years, but it stays present in the body as either a... Uh, uh, Movement and energy, or a subtle vibration, um, and it really allows a lot of changes uh, to occur over a long period of time. So does it Did normally take a little bit? Of, uh, pardon me.
2: Did does you notice it the difference in your? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Your
0: voice is very, and um, um, I can't um, hear. Yeah, it. you're
2: breaking up. It's yeah, Taz, you're starting to break up.
3: Okay, I'm going to call back in.
2: Oh, okay, 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 Bonnie. Uh, you were taking the breath work, and then um, you were back into school. So, there, was there a time be- period between the breath work and the actual Kundalini experience? That's what it sounds like.
0: Well, yes, there was. A, I did an energy session um, with Dr. Hendricks, and. I um, had gone back to school and I was sitting in a classroom and and those days at ITP we sat on the floor and I was just sitting listening to a lecture and I suddenly started feeling these movements and jerks moving up through my body like um, very rhythmically, like almost like a labor pain but, but a positive feeling, just moving up and making me high, just kind of rolling up over and over and over again. And, um, so that was kind of the beginning of the opening. Um, and after class, I went, sat in a little meditation room and just kind of sat with it for a long time and it, it shifted my consciousness. Uh, I went for several weeks in a, pretty much an altered state of, um, quality of life that was very, um, highly present, very, um, Everything seemed to be have more light and more flow to it. Uh, it was just kind of a great opening of consciousness as well as uh, energy in my body.
3: Okay, I wonder, actually, Can you said that there was a great consciousness, a great opening. And um, so my thought is, were you really, could you tell the big difference between after you had the kundalini and prior when you, when you were spiritual before that as well? And the difference is really in the whole sensations and the
0: body and the um, quality of being present. Um, it's, it's um, I mean, being spiritually, I would say before that I could go into meditation and experience great stillness and peacefulness while I was meditating and um, that uh, that that was a kind of a comfort place for me to go and meditate and and pull myself into a calm place and and uh certainly over the years um, made my life more harmonious but I think what happens when you go through a this other type of an awakening is that a lot of the qualities that interfere with our life start to fall away, things like uh, self-judgment and worrying and um, anxiety and um, the kind of, the way the mind normally works for us humans, there's a lot of conflict that's always going on, a lot of division, should I do this, should I do that, Uh, how do I handle this problem, What's the matter with my life? Where should I be going? All those kinds of things. Those are activities of mind, of the conditioned mind. And when you have a, an opening where consciousness shifts, what the feeling is is that it's all okay. Everything's okay. don't need to be so um, anxious and worried and controlling. And it, those impulses become much more irrelevant until they just fade away. Um, so there's just a, a, a calmness that pervades more of your thinking and more of your ability
2: to be present with what's happening in the moment. So um, this changed your, the client, I mean the clients that you were going to work with. It sounded to me like you felt that your purpose from that point on was to help people through this kundalini experience and the awakening experience is that true
0: well you know i wouldn't say that that was an immediate thing what what had happened is that i was on the brink of needing to write my doctoral dissertation and um so i was and because i was at itp i was going spending some time at esalen spending some time with people doing breath work doing counseling with people who had transpersonal concerns and issues. And um, so I decided, I, I started noticing a lot of people had difficulty when this energy activated. And I really didn't have a great deal of difficulty. So I got very interested in what's the difference between why I was having a mostly a pretty blissful time of it And other people were really struggling and having difficulties. I thought that would be a good topic for my dissertation. So I began my research at that time and spent a year or two um, trying to find everything that had ever been written about Kundalini and um, interviewing a a dozen people who I felt had gone through the experience or were in it and, and finding out what what worked for them, what didn't, uh, what was happening when it activated, just collecting as much data as I could. Then I wrote my dissertation on that topic. And after that, I took the dissertation and turned it into a book that was called Energies of Transformation. And so that book became, um, well, writing the dissertation got me some invitations to speak on the subject at esoteric gatherings, and then um, after the book was published, uh, people started to uh, contact me um, with their concerns and so that's really what happened I started to I put up a website and I started to get phone calls uh, or emails from people all over the world who were um, experiencing some form of energy arising and confusion or awakening experience and didn't know who to talk to about it because it, it was very unfamiliar in medical and psychiatric um, circles. So that's kind of how it happened. I just fell into it. I, it isn't like I ever said, oh, I really need to be doing this. It was more like
2: it just became the yeah. obvious thing. Well, that's how life goes hmm. sometimes. <laughs> that's for
0: sure, yeah. I mean, I never thought, I, you know, I was from a fairly conservative background before. I would have never guessed I would end up in such an esoteric field. But it doesn't feel that way to me anymore. It feels very um, natural, very much um, like a natural evolution for many people and um what I try to do is help them normalize it so that it isn't so frightening and disorienting.
2: Well, do when people go to a, like a, a normal doctor or counselor that are, they're not aware of the Kundalini, are they, um, sometimes they think they're going crazy? Sure. Sometimes people
0: think they're going crazy. Sometimes they think that they're dying. Um, but, and often they think there must be some medical issue because there'd be a lot of involuntary body movements. There can be lots of flushes of heat. And um, if you have a vulnerable area in your body, you might have particular discomfort there. Um, and so, um, most, it's not as, common today, but 20 years ago it was very uncommon for doctors to have any awareness at all of, of what this might be, and so they'd be tested and sometimes misdiagnosed as having um, uh, seizure problems or um, a lot of times there's uh, mood swings that are quite intense, so they might be diagnosed as depressive or um, Uh, dissociative because sometimes uh, when the energy rushes up through the head there can be a sense of an out-of-body experience uh, or being no longer identified with your personal self and uh, so these can be symptoms of mental illness in some situations and so sometimes the symptoms got misinterpreted because that was the only paradigm a doctor had to... uh, Diagnose, and that's still the case in most places.
3: Hmm. I have a question: uh, Can sparks from the t- on the top of the head also be part of a kundalini experience? Sparks? Yeah, sparks. You Sparking. You mean?
0: Well, there can be that sensation of 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 vibration electrical sparks. Or- well, I, I don't well, know that well, I've ever seen, a, seen an electrical spark arise, but certainly they can have that feeling as if, as if there's electrical. I had one woman tell me that um, she, when she started to have this experience, she was just walking across her college campus, and she felt like she had been hit with an electrical, maybe like lightning or something. She just felt electrified and fell over. So, you know, that you can have that sensation. Whether there's literal sparks, I, I wouldn't be able to say.
2: Okay. Now, for, for the people that are listening that have never heard of the word kundalini or kundalini experience, can you give um, explain exactly what it is? The way that I
0: would interpret it is that um, the kundalini, first of all, it's a Sanskrit word uh, that means uh, coiled. Uh, kunda means coiled. And it comes out of the uh, Indian tradition in India, and it's part of the tantric uh, model of considering that uh, when a child is conceived, the um, energy goes and starts the uh, formation of the fetus in the body. And that after the body is formed and the energy is flowing in the body, the residual energy wraps itself three and a half times around a spot at the base of the spine and holds the energy field together throughout our lives. And then when we die, that energy unravels and leaves the body. And so yogic um, teachings and yogic science has developed a methodology for awakening this energy and moving it through the body. And um, the belief that it will transform each of the chakras and open up the energy field and move through the crown of the head and ultimately consciousness will begin to experience itself as a collective or universal uh, primal consciousness. And this was considered a methodology for spiritual awakening in the yogic tradition. I simply define kundalini as the life force. I see it as Um, holding the the energy field, the pranic energy or the qi-chi energy, whatever we want to call it, in stasis. And some Westerners have called it bioenergy. kind of holds the system in stasis and then um, moves through the body when it activates, when it opens, and brings about a lot of changes in the nature of the energy, the feeling of energy in your body and spaciousness in your body as well as the um, consciousness allowing us to, in a way, it's a clearing process. It it causes a lot of our old conditioning and our belief system and our um, emotional blockages um, to arise in such a way that we can release them. It's a clearing process so that we can be extremely open to um, the pure consciousness in the moment. Um, without all the clutter of our personal conditioning,
2: That's like- uh cleansing. Yeah, uh, it would be wonderful if we all could experience that. <laughs> do you have Do you have to go through an, a kundalini experience to be awakened or have self realization? I mean, is this? I'm, I
0: didn't
2: hear the first part of your question. Do I
0: have Do you have
2: to go Do you have to go through kundalini? Uh, kundalini oh, do I have um, to go?
0: You know, what, I think, what I've observed, um, in the Indian model, they, that in Tantra and, and yoga, they would say you have to activate it first. I think it's activated also in the Qigong system in a very gradual way. But, um, but I have observed uh, in the last uh, 10 years, particularly since I've been sitting in more Buddhist um, traditions, that uh, many people will uh, have... a a really shift of consciousness in which they have a moment of that in which consciousness recognizes its true nature. And it's a very expansive shift in which your sense of your personal self falls away. And there's just a sense of being one with everything um, and not in a way not existing personally, but being part of the whole. So that kind of an awakening almost always at some point is followed with an activation of energy so that the process begins unfolding and unraveling after you've had the awakening. Usually if the awakening occurs first, the kundalini process is more gentle It's and it's easier to handle because you're kind of in a different place. You're much more detached. You're much more able to see this stuff is coming up and and releasing it more consciously, where somebody who has a Kundalini awakening first and doesn't have a good understanding of this process, um, they can be really panicked because there can be a lot of very intense energy and heat and it's disruptive to your lifestyle because it might happen in an embarrassing place, you know, if you teach or you work uh, you might might feel like you cannot function that way anymore because people will see you, you shaking or jerking around. So they get into a much more difficult place with it um, until they've really gotten into a deeper place of
2: experiencing pure consciousness. Now, um, Kath and I have been interviewing... Um for more than ten years, and we see themes come in and come out of the groups of people we're interviewing. And the last, like I'd say, six, eight people we've interviewed, it seems like it's um, the theme seems to be non-duality. And uh, mm-hmm. it feels it feels as though this is really coming in to mm-hmm. um, a larger consciousness, and more people are actually catching on to what it is. Do you feel that way? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, I think that that's probably true, although I've been associated with Ajashanti for quite a while, and he's been touching many, many people with these teachings. So I see a select audience in that. In that. I meet many people who are waking up through um, the non-dual uh, tradition. I, I see non-dual teachings um, are... The, the direct experience of non-duality as um, kind of the end-of-the-road process. And many people who have been in spiritual processes for 20 or 30 years doing meditation and, or doing a chagoon, doing um, a combination of things as we tend to do in Western cultures, uh, that, that they're in a way, they're ripe for... Um, a realization of their true nature, which is really what non-duality is leading toward, um, which is just um, an opportunity to let go of yourself completely in a way that you experience your original nature.
3: So oh, you have on, I, I was going to say, you have on your website, which I, it's really precious. Um, you talk about um, you were once delayed for several hours in a in a busy train station in Florence. Mm-hmm. Uh huh.
0: Would
3: yeah. you would you share that story? Because I think that is really a priceless story, and I, I think it, it it could be very helpful in hearing it. Would you share it? Um, sure. Um, I was, uh, well, we were in Italy, and uh, we
0: wanted to go from Florence to another city, I don't recall where right now, and uh, the information we had was that the train would be on a particular track, so we stood at that track, and, and, of course, Italian trains are not particularly reliable, so when our particular train kept not showing up, we just figured there was something wrong with the system. That uh, eventually it would get there, and finally, after a great long time, um, I started wandering around the station to try to find somebody who spoke English and um, was told, oh that train oh, that train was now using a different track, and they had made the announcement several times in Italian, but I hadn't understood it so um, then we finally found the right track and were able to catch our train and i I use that as an, an analogy to how um, many people who have had um, a long time of practice in spiritual practices and and a great um, longing for truth um, they work very, very hard at their spiritual practice and their their uh, staying in a particular mode for a very long time and um they don't recognize that perhaps they might be at the wrong station. It's not that the previous practice wasn't of great value, um, but it's not um, where they need to be focused anymore. It's not about taming the mind and concentration anymore. It's really about uh, a very profound shift in who's in charge and really letting go and being, willing to not know anything, not know any of the spiritual practices, not know, not have a clue what what this is all about. So often, you know, we spend so many years studying a spiritual tradition, we think we have it all figured out, um, but true awakening, true realization is not going to come from the mind at all. It comes from uh, a very deep intuition that and uh, almost a sensate uh, process that can't happen if we're um, using the mind to get there.
2: So, so uh, you actually talk about... I'm sorry. I was going to say, is that deletion of thought? Pardon me?
3: The,
0: the release Is of that thought?
2: deletion of thought in order to be there? I mean, what yeah, do we do with our thoughts?
0: Well, you stop being the doer. So you, you fall into being the one that notices the thoughts, being the one, being, what is it? Oh. All those thoughts are not who you are, and none of those thoughts are particularly true. So you, it's like, what is it in you that notices a thought? What is it in you that listens? What is it in you that is present before there's any label? of any kind of a thought or any kind of a uh, belief or any kind of an emotion. There's something prior to all of that that you came in with. And, and that, that something is uh, the discovery that is a portal to awakening.
2: So it's as though yes. we're looking, I mean, we're above it and we're watching it as a movie and, and watching our own thoughts and be witness
0: um, of. Yeah, it's more, yeah, it's like that, except that you're not really above it. You're not going into a um, transcendent state at all. You're, um, you're falling into the consciousness that you arrived in the world with before. Just think of a brand new infant just plopped into the world. Does it have any ideas or theories or beliefs?
3: Does it know anything yet? It's pure. Um, if I were to look at, if I were to look at it, I would look at it as if before I entered the body. Yes. That but you are awareness. in a
0: body now, but but you are in a body now, so you have to go back the way you right. came in a way. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So yeah.
0: yes, this that we are, this awareness that we are, this consciousness we are, is prior to the body. As one of the Zen masters said, what was your face before you were born?
2: Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what people go through when they have a near-death experience? I mean, they go into that um, oneness? Well,
0: I think that, and um, in, in certainly in some cases, I can't speak for all cases, but uh, certainly... When I believe, and who can say? But I believe that when we die, consciousness falls back into that universal um, fullness of knowing itself as as everything, or or prior to everything.
2: So, so <laughs> to me, that's you know, similar to people that pass away. They uh, go on the other side. They mm-hmm. have to let go of their um, their thoughts and their Mm Judgments and all of that when they go over on the other side. So when you're into the, go go ahead. Mm -hmm. They don't
0: let go of it. It falls away spontaneously. It's like you can't hold on to it anymore because it's non-existent. It belongs to a non-existent person.
2: Yeah. If we only could, you know, if we, I mean, if we could only think of that when we're here. Mm -hmm. We can't think it, but we can feel it. Oh, feel it, okay, yeah.
0: And that's the issue is we spend so much time trying to think it and figure it, instead of just letting go of that path and falling into it within our bodies. Finding that in our own body where this, um, this pathway to source is. I, I've always loved, uh, Ramana Maharshi, the great sage of India, an Advaita sage, pointed out that this, he called it the cave of the heart. He says that the place where consciousness enters is actually um, in a, uh, he called it radium. It's parallel to the heart, but on the other side of the chest, slightly to the side of the sternum, and he said that... To, to follow the I thought, the thought I, into that spot, and just, just following it, just flowing into it, um, will take us uh, to the source. So I think that's a really lovely um, uh, type of sitting to, to explore if your intention is to know your roots, your source, what you really are.
2: There's a heart meditation that both Taz and I do, which uh, exactly mm-hmm. uh, travels. I mean, that's what, how you do it. You just bring it into mm-hmm. the window of the heart, into the source, because mm-hmm. behind the heart yes. is the source. Yes. So, so that's very lovely. What are desires and... Um, you know, like some people think. Well, you need goals to to accomplish things. You need desires to accomplish things. Uh, it sounds like we have to do away with the desires mm-hmm. and the goals. Is that true? Well, that's
0: just the uh, the activity of mind. It's it's useful if you live in the world of mind. You know, I think when a young person is starting out in the world, it's useful to have. It's if you're functioning from mind and and you're functioning in the relative world, having a goal of getting a job or having a goal of supporting your family, and those things are very uh, useful in the practical world. Um, however, they, they don't really, you think, you know, that you're creating your goals, but the fact is it's a combination of your conditioning. And your fate, but whatever you think you're going for and whatever you accomplish. It isn't like the little you that, that is really illusionary is creating all of this. It's an, an illusion we live under until we start to realize that that isn't quite true. It's not quite enough for us. A lot of people will run into a blank wall after years of pursuing goals because they realize they're still not really happy. They're still not content. There's something they don't know They need to know. And, and in a way that's the longing of consciousness to pull you back toward truth, to pull you back to, um, and yes, you do, you have to let go of that need that is the driver in order to discover the quiet stillness and presence that's underneath.
2: Can we function? um, I mean, can we function in the real world as... I mean, do things come easier if you're um, in this philosophy, the non-duality and... um, do things come naturally and easier when you're actually in that? I
0: think that um, as a philosophy, non-duality is very limited because it doesn't apply very well to the practical world, and it can be misinterpreted by the mind and used in a, a way that is not healthy. Um, when, when it's used as a, as a teaching to point you to your true nature, and you take it that way rather than through the mind, you take it of how can I discover my essence, my truth, I don't care what it costs. I want to know what's true. When you take it into your heart and you wake up, uh, yes, then after that, life becomes much easier because you stop arguing with everything. You see you see more clearly, you know you still see all the trauma and difficulties in the world, and you feel compassion for them, and you um, you know respond in whatever way is appropriate for you. But um, you don't have the angst and the struggle and the uh, arguing, the anger and the rage that the personality can develop. You know, spiritual personalities can get really angry at things that are going on in the world. Or, um, and, and when you wake up, if there's a quality. I love it how Shanti puts it that you have no more argument with reality. You see the you see the unfolding of things um, in their inevitable way, and you respond in a way that feels really you have to become really authentic with yourself for a lot of people have major life changes because they're doing work that doesn't feel authentic or they're in a toxic relationship and it's very burdensome um, and in there, they feel um, they're going to feel much worse than they felt before until they make the changes they need to make. It's like it's like an imperative to align yourself with what's
3: authentic for you. I haven't... Um, you have something in your book um, that talks about children having kundalinis. I, I never mm-hmm. even went there. <laughs> yeah. so I saw that and I thought, wow. Um, yeah. Can you share some things about that aspect of it, maybe with the new kids coming in and everything?
0: Well, I don't think it's common. But, and I haven't worked with any children that I would say are in a Kundalini process. And people have not brought any children to, like, to me. But um, a lot, not a lot, a few of the adults I've worked with, when I look back at their history, and their stories, and their early childhood experiences, it appears that the Kundalini was always active. Um, these, um, and they sometimes, they're people who are having all, this, all the um, positive impacts and the side effects of Kundalini, but they don't, have, they don't remember any initiating event. They don't, they don't, there's no before and after for them, they've always been this way. Um mm-hmm. so that means that perhaps, as children um they would have uh, one i know uh, well, oddya, for one, Aja shanti's talked about standing uh in a playground and suddenly just seeing everything really clearly, like seeing through it all as being a play or um not being real um I've heard other people say um have moments like that where where everything becomes light or energy, and they're just um, kind of awestruck. And uh, and then it goes away, and they go on and play. So, and they don't realize that other people never have those experiences, so it doesn't seem like a problem for them. They don't bring it up. Um, I've had people who um, have um, some kind of a guide or an entity that's, um, sits at the edge of their bed and, and gives them good advice when they're young children uh, and then sort of fades away as they get to be adolescents. Um, so there's, there's evidence that the, the energy field that kundalini activates in the body is already active in a few people when they come into the world. It's also possible, um, I believe, that a lot of times a near-death experience will activate kundalini. And um, because remember, I said that sometimes the belief is that when we die, it unravels from the base of the spine and leaves the body. So if somebody has a really deep near-death experience, and this might even happen during the birthing process, um, but sometimes a child also has a real serious illness or accident where they nearly die. And I think the uh, energy may start to unravel and open up the chakras and do whatever it does. And then the person doesn't die, but the energy is not going to go back down again once um, it's activated to a certain level.
3: You also talk about children that maybe um, uh, are not, they don't conform to conformity. (laughs) Uh And, yeah, and so they're, you know, they're like almost wiser beyond their years, perhaps. Mm hmm well,
0: you would see that if if, the, if a child has come in with this, having already the full uh, Kundalini process going, um, they are going to have a tremendous um, different perspective that's not going to fit the mainstream. It's going, they're going to see in a way beyond all the games that adults play. Oh, a lot of children see through that anyway until they get conditioned to behave the way their parents do. Um, but, um, you know, they, they're going to see, um, they're going to be usually more peaceful. Um, maybe they're going to be like, Krishna Krishnamurti was always called a, a daydreamer. He was a child that was noted for all of his daydreaming. And of course, so he did go through a really dramatic kundalini activation later in life. So I don't know quite what that all means. You know, this type of thing has not had enough or any real uh, solid research. Um, it, partially because it isn't even recognized in our culture as an existing possibility, so nobody would ever fund or explore it in a the kind of research you could say that anything I even say here is true. <laughs> All I can say is what I've what I've listened to and heard over the years.
2: Can uh, chemicals? Or I mean, like um, we had a friend who lived in Peru, and they, they, um, they have this. I don't know. I forget the name of the flower or the plant.
0: Ayahuasca. And, um,
2: yeah, and does something like that uh, can that uh, bring you into a kundalini experience? Yes.
0: And many people who used LSD in the '60s activated kundalini energy and um, ayahuasca can certainly shift consciousness in such a way that makes you more prone to activating the energy too Um, and i'm sure there's other uh, drugs too lesser known ones that could create the same issue the same dynamic the problem is if it activates with a drug it's much more chaotic because there's been um it's like you're not you're not prepared emotionally and physically, and then the drug goes away, and you're kind of left with this experience, but um, have no um, way of understanding it or dealing you, let's say that you have activated it on lSD and so maybe initially uh, somebody thought you were psychotic because you were wandering along the beach, spaced out and talking about seeing entities. So uh, so you might have been hospitalized for a little while. And then you're not psychotic, so that when that wears off, uh, you're released. So you know you had these experiences. You're not sure whether it means you were crazy. You don't know what it, the purpose was. You never uh, had the spiritual orientation to support it. Um, but your body is now starting this clearing process. So you've got a lot of jerks and shaking or or strange dreams or uh, different kinds of rushes in your body and, and jerking, and, and you, don't, you don't have any clue how to work with that or live with it or open to it. Uh, you may have more difficulty um, setting a goal because that part of your mind is no longer functioning very well. Um, and so, you know, it's just, it's just a much more disturbing process for people who um, activate uh, kundalini or who have spiritual openings uh, as a result of drug use for the most part. But, you know, remember that I see people or I talk with people who have had problems. So there may be a whole group of people that have no problems that I never hear from, uh, but that's been my observation.
2: I know Steve Jobs was... uh Supposedly take an LSD to help his creativity.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, that so, may have happened. And many, many uh, people with expanded consciousness. many brilliant people may have activated and opened up uh, parts of their energy field and their system, uh, either through drugs or just naturally they came in the world that way. You would s- expect to see more creativity and Inventiveness and out of the box thinking in such people.
2: So people that have activated their um, kundalini uh, begin to be out of the box and be start to be more creative as well.
0: Sometimes, sometimes not everybody, but for some people, it's like uh, they suddenly they can they can paint and they never could before. Something that changed for me was um, I would have never thought that I could do public speaking. Before this happened to me and and it's it's very easy now, if anybody'd ever told me that I could speak to a group of three or four hundred people and not be totally freaked out by it, I would have been amazed but <laughs> it, and it's just it's nothing anymore to me, so things open up and shift in you that um, you you're just surprised I've had people who became quite remarkable artists. Uh, one woman I met she um, she had this inspiration to travel around the world and go to third world countries and uh, create something that was needed in these in different communities and she through uh, all kinds of synchronistic events was given the money to do this. She even went into a communist china and And uh, she would make uh, buddhas and caves, and she she built a a water system in one community. And um, she was just, it's like you're in this flow, and and you just follow it. And so for, not for everybody, though, it's not, you cannot go into this process saying, oh, I want to be like that, so, you know, I'll get, I'll go through this. It doesn't work that way. It does you with whatever, you don't have much control over it. Um, Aja Shanti's is always saying that, uh, you know, he was a very strong introvert, and uh, his teacher told him that it was really amazing to her how he's teaching all these people now, and he's such an introvert. Uh, so you just don't know. It's almost like the process uses you, and, and you can either flow with it, like flowing with the Tao, or you can resist it. And some people still have very simple lives. They just, um, you know, they focus on their grandchildren or they um, love animals or they, you know, they do something else that they're drawn to. There's no formula. There's nothing you can predict It's going to be exactly a certain way.
2: Well, I can see as far as public speaking goes, how this would really help because you're all one, so it's like you're speaking to yourself or you're speaking... <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know it's just uh it just feels natural that the part of you uh, for me and i'm sure this is true for other people too the part of me that would have worried about what people think is gone and so you know i if i speak to a group i know there's somebody there that needs to hear what i have to say and and if the rest don't i'm i'm sorry <laughs> to waste their time but i'm not I'm concerned about it
3: and so it's like a whole before so it's like a whole new world opens up and you are literally out there sharing because it's very exciting and mm-hmm. uh, you're able to support others in a new way mm-hmm. yeah True.
2: now this is a question that's come up in my mind if you haven't ever if you have not had a kundalini experience and you want one can you purposely go out and and achieve it?
0: Well, there are many things you can do that make you... Again, I'm going to quote Ajashanti. Lo- I love the phrase, becoming grace-prone. He says, there's a lot of things we can do to make ourselves more grace-prone, more likely. Um, but it is never guarantee." And also, very often, if you people who do go out and push themselves to activate it have more difficult time with it, because once it's activated, it's, you have no control over it. You're not going to control what opens, how it opens, what memories are going to arise that were repressed, uh, how other people are going to react to it, or any of that. Uh, but um, some of the things that make you more grace-prone are... Um, sincerely wanting to know the truth, what's ever true, you know, getting rid of the belief structures and just saying, I really don't know, being willing to live in the unknown. Um, opening up your body so it's not so rigid, so you could do that through energy work or breath work or uh, Qigong. Qigong is a, a very classic practice for... Uh, awakening consciousness of energy in the body and creating specific flows that improve your your health as well as your energy um, amplification. Um, Yoga, yoga, or kundalini yoga, but uh, sometimes, surprisingly enough, some kundalini teachers have really no awareness of all the other side effects that might occur. Uh, with activating kundalini, so you can't depend on on the teacher to uh, support you if you have a huge emotional shift or um, you start to become really frightened or um, other issues arise that are related, psychic issues, things like that. So uh, you might find somebody that does know, but uh, very often they don't. Um, Taking good care of your body uh, is is helpful, especially if it does activate. Um, so those, I don't know those are some of the things that come to me right right off the top. It's, it, mainly, it's having the orientation of wanting truth, sitting in meditation, opening the body, um, living a non toxic life, both physically and socially.
2: Now, if you said something about memories, uh, suppressed memories, if somebody had been molested, and a lot of times people suppress that, that would be something that would come up. That would, might be very frightening.
0: It is. I have found that people that have the most difficulty when this activates suddenly are people who have been uh, sexually or physically abused. I'm sure that would be true for people who have been in uh, war zones, too. Um, because a lot of the stuff is, is kind of held in your body, but you don't remember the details of it. And then when your energy activates, it's like it's flushing up. Um, first of all, the energy feels invasive. You're not in charge of it. It's like it's involuntary. So it, it really um, triggers the involuntary sensations you had, perhaps as a very young child when you were being abused. And then... Um, the the whole objective is the clearing out of anything that is keeping you from being free. And um, if those are in there, they're going to be impacting those kind of memories, are going to be impacting your behavior um, in, in ways that you're not even aware of. And uh, in order for you to get clear, you have to see it clearly. And what happens is the material comes up, and then if you're able to work with it in some way that you can work through it, or you can see through it clearly, um, then it stops having an impact on your life, and that's really how we become free. Um, we're becoming free of ourselves, free of our history.
2: That sounds so inviting, <laughs> <laughs> because we carry. <laughs> well, it's, but it's no, not it's, easy.
0: So <laughs> no, but
2: we carry such such ba- a lot of baggage. <laughs> We do
0: carry a lot of baggage, and and after a while, it's very helpful for people who want to be in an awakening process to have done some psychotherapy if they have anything traumatic in their history at all, because uh, really good therapy teaches you to, um, in a way, be an observer of yourself, so that you learn to not take yourself so seriously, you learn to, to be a good nurturer of yourself, and to support yourself and not be so judgmental. And so if you've done some of that ahead of time, then when very disruptive material arises in the kundalini process, it's much easier to deal with. Um, I think that one of the reasons my experience was so positive with it was that I had had seven years of union analysis. Uh, so I'd done a lot of therapy uh, before this ever happened to me.
2: Well, uh, let's tell everyone out there your website because there might be people out you know our listeners. there might be some listeners going through this or that need someone to uh, help them go through it.
0: I have two websites, and there are similar titles to my books. Uh, one is called uh, awake um, Kundaliniguide dot com The other is called AwakeningGuide.com. dot com. And that's the title of my books, The Awakening Guide and The Kundalini Guide. I also have a blog in which I write essays of various topics. That's called uh, Shanti com, And um, I have a Kundalini blog where people can send questions, and that is... Um, uh, I think it's. Well, I don't even remember the name of that one. I haven't used it as much lately, but it's accessible through my Kundalini Guide
2: website. Well, we're going to have to put your blog up on our website too. And on in your uh, Kundalini Guide website, I, the I, the one article that was written that meant the most to me, and I would recommend for people to to read it is where to stand. Uh huh. I thought, I thought that was. It's a really a great article.
0: Thank Mm. you. You know that's interesting because that is the article I've gotten the most feedback on too.
2: Yeah,
3: it's beautiful. If you, um, I, I, these books are so grounding Mm -hmm. and really holds your hand very well. I yeah they're beautiful. Thank you for for doing them. Do you have another book on the um, on the way?
0: You know I don't. I just put these out. Um, but I am writing every day on my or not every day, but a couple times a week at least now on my blog, and um, I I'm putting articles out as much as I can on the web to draw people's attention to the books. So, uh, who knows, another one may emerge in the next year or so, but, but you know, this is my life work, and it feels to me like I needed to get these in the hands of uh, before I'm gone. I'm in my 70s, so um, I'm really glad that they're being well-received, and um, they're just, uh, it's such a blessing, it's such a challenge, and it's such a blessing to be invited into the awakening process. Um, so, I just want people for whom that is happening to um, know how to navigate it in a way that uh, brings them to the most peaceful and uh, uh, wonderful conclusion, and uh, so that's what they're there for so Well I'm we want everybody to: to there.
2: Uh, We want everybody to know that we've been talking to Bonnie Greenwell, and um, she's sent us an article to put on our Taz and Paula Show uh, website. So you can get a taste of her work on our website and then uh, go on to her website, the two websites, and her blog. So this is such a gift to everyone. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Thank you so much
0: for letting me be on your show.
3: Mm. Thank you, Bonnie.
0: You're welcome.
2: We loved having you today. you.
3: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.